The following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. And now, here's Dr. Dan. Well, if you have your copy of your scriptures, join me, if you would, in Romans chapter 16. We have come to the end of the book of Romans. I think it's been close to 18 months. And uh, we're concluding in a, I think, a way that shows the purpose of the whole of Scripture or all of creation. Well, happy Fourth of July Eve. I am grateful to live in this country uh, where we have all of these freedoms, opportunities, and a, a country that, of course, is not always has not been perfect, but has had the ability to correct itself and because its founding documents were based on the Scriptures and it had the opportunity to fix itself. So I'm grateful for the freedoms we have, and this morning we are celebrating one of those freedoms, which is the freedom to worship. We have other countries around the world where Christians cannot gather in freedom and without fear of persecution, I, have, uh, I get emails from other countries where right now Christians in a certain country are running from their villages because the army has come in to put, down, put them down. And we hear about these things. We know of places like China where Christians meet in basements because they can't, uh, don't have the freedom to simply be Christians in public. So this morning, we are, while we're glorified in God, we are also enjoying the freedoms that we have in our country. But one of the things that I've sort of noticed in, uh, in America is sometimes uh, as Christians, those who uh, proclaim faith in Christ sometimes still struggle to uh, make it to church. And the reasons range from legitimate to simple, well, simple laziness, to be frank with you. Uh, le- legitimate. Well, of, of course, we have friends and loved ones who are in the nursing home and quite frankly, can't get behind the wheel of a car and perhaps should not be behind the wheel of a car. But one of the things that I saw uh, when I had opportunities to preach in nursing homes is that I would watch these folks come down to gather to worship and their arrival at worship was a sacrifice. It It wasn't as easy for them to walk down the hallway as it was for me to walk out of my door, get into the car, drive over there. It was not as hard for me physically to do all of that as it was for them to make their way down the hallway. There was sacrifice in their worship. I suggest to you the reason that they were making that sacrifice was because they knew that their hope was in the glory of God, not in their failing bodies. Over the years, I've had many reasons that I suppose people might not want to come to church. Sometimes they got hurt in church, and so they don't come. Or perhaps one shared with me that she didn't come to church because she was afraid to be in large crowds. I can sort of understand that. The problem was I would see her at basketball games frequently. We've had COVID, which certainly was... Very legitimate for some. We've had um, boredom. Can I tell you one of the things when you read ministry books, a lot of what we read about has boiled down, could be boiled down to this simple thing. We've got to make sure church doesn't become routine because folks get bored. 
And when Americans get bored, we don't show up. In America, we have all the freedom in the world, but sometimes we get bored of church or we get hurt in church. Sometimes we have physical reasons that are legitimate. And sometimes we get out of the habit so we don't, we don't come to worship. We get, don't no longer gather together to worship with one voice. And I can remember this before I go forward. The gal that said to, that she was afraid to come to church, she got over that and has become faithful. But there's a list of reasons that people have for choosing not to gather together for worship. In Rome, one of the issues that was going on there that was hindering them from uniting to worship with one voice was their history together. God had taken, through faith in Christ, Jews and Gentiles who avoided each other, put them together in one family, and now they are to worship God and connect to Him through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, now we've had an awkward history, and we've come together, and they're not so sure that the other group really belongs in the church, and if they are in the church, maybe they should just sit in the background if they're not going to figure out how to look more and act more like us. And so when Paul gets to, by the time he's gone through this book of Romans, and he gets to really hammering this issue, he says, I'm praying that God would strengthen you to really believe the gospel, that God has really offered salvation to Gentiles, that he has really brought salvation through the Jews. And so from the beginning of the book all the way to now, what the Apostle Paul has done has, is explain the gospel and then apply it in personal life and then their congregational life. And he began early by saying, I am unashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And then he goes on to explain why it was necessary that God did this. And he says, hey, look, you Jews, you had the Old Testament law. Thou shalt not do X, Y, and Z. Thou shalt put the Lord your... You know, have nothing before God. You know, nothing should be more important to you than God. You should love your neighbor as yourself. You shouldn't uh, desire your neighbor's wife or their truck or their boat or their house, their farm, their donkey. You shouldn't desire his stuff, her stuff. And Jesus shows up. He says, hey, guess what? If you've ever, the Bible says, hey, thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus is like, hey, uh, have you ever looked at a woman or looked at a man with lust in your heart? You've committed adultery in your heart. If you've ever hated somebody, you might not have pulled the trigger, but in your heart you're a murderer if you've hated somebody. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He says, hey, Gentiles, you didn't have the benefit of the Old Testament law, but you can look out at creation and know there was a glorious God who was powerful, who was wise, who was skilled. You owe your life and breath to Him. You might not have known all the laws of the Old Testament, but you did know some areas of right and wrong, and even those you couldn't keep. Therefore, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God for eternity and ultimately physical death. That's the bad news, but the good news is this. The way to the sin of death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And for those who are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Before we get into our passage, which is essentially I have entitled the 
to God be the glory. What is glory? And you can read about it and you can study it and you'll learn a lot of great things, but the longer you study it, the more complex it becomes. So here's my simple definition. It's the character of God on full display. So the glory of God is His power on full display. His wrath and judgment on full display. His holiness on full display. His love, grace, mercy. All of this was shown to us, this love, grace, mercy, even His power through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He raises the dead. He provides salvation to people who were offending Him, who had been at odds with God and had showed no inclination of changing their minds. Into this world, He sends His Son and He dies on the cross for our sins and rises again. And so Paul prayed in chapter 15, Hey, I pray that God would strengthen you to really believe this. So you can learn to get along and worship God, glorify Him with one voice, because that's what He deserves. And now he's concluding his letter, and he says, To God be the glory. Let me give you the basic frame of the, of the passage. He starts out in chapter 16, verse 25. It's like he's starting to say, To God be the glory. He gets halfway through the sentence and starts talking about God's glory. And then finally in verse 27, he completes his thought from verse 25. I spent a week trying to make sense of that. You're like, that was easy. It wasn't for me, all right? I tried. But there's the framework. Let's take a look at our passage. Verse 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed your glory to us in creation, in the internal sense of right and wrong, in the Scriptures, and in the person of Your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that this morning, of course, that the people would, we would understand Your Word and grow because of it. But more importantly, that You would be glorified through the preaching of the Word and through the attentive listening to the Word of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we gather together as a church, we are doing so to glorify God. Funny thing happens when you, when you glorify God. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He basically says, we're like people with veils on our face until we come to faith in Jesus Christ. When we believe in Him, the veil is taken off, and now we behold the glory of God. And as we, passive in this process, glorify God, recognize the glorify, glory of God, as we receive His glory, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. As Christians, we come to Jesus uh, as we are, with our one plea, as the song says. We are sinners. 
We come to Him. We put our trust in Him. That's not the end. God's purpose then for us is that as we live on this earth, however long it is that we are here, we are growing in glory to become more like Jesus. Here's the thing about glory in the Bible. Glory is absolutely the character of God on full display. But when we, His creatures, begin to recognize who He is and say, He's glorious, we sing His praises. And our speech represents that He is glorious and He's changing us. Our actions and our attitudes represent that we have seen and beheld His glory and it has changed us. It's glory. See, there's the fact of glory that God is simply glorious. And then there's the response of us, His people, to the fact that He is glorious. And when we say, glory to God, that's also glory. See, the chief end of man, the chief end of woman, the chief end of the human race is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And as we do this, we are transformed. And so Paul, as he's looked at this gospel of salvation, he starts to simply say, to God be the glory. In verse 25, to God be the glory because He is able to give you the strength that you need. Look at the first half of verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel. That word that's translated strengthen in the ESV, and I believe the King James had established it. It just basically has the idea of God fortifying your inner man, your inner woman, to have the strength of faith necessary to really believe the gospel, to hold on to Christ, to with one voice to gather in worship. He starts praising God because He's able to strengthen you. Strong faith in Jesus gives us reason to hope in the glory of God. Believing that He is who He says He is and that He will do what He says He will do. This issue of glory, well, it's not often, at least in some parts of the church world, not talked about enough because it's all over the Bible. But when you go to the Garden of Eden, what was really on trial was this. Was God's Word to be trusted? Because if He's not to be trusted, He's not all that glorious. Has God indeed said you shouldn't eat that? Has God indeed said you will certainly die if you do? And the question at hand is, is God really who He says He is? And will He really do what He says He will do? Can He be trusted? And you know how it goes. You know, no, the, the, the fruit looks good. And God said, if you look at it, think about it, touch of it, you're going to die. And Satan's like, no, you're not going to die. He knows that if you sin, you'll become just like him, knowing good from evil. Translation, God's a liar and you can't trust him. He ain't all that glorious. Think about this idea of trusting God. Our salvation comes to us for the simple question of, do we really believe God is who He says He is? And that He will do what He says He will do. He has warned us. The wages of sin is death. There is a fate called hell coming for those who refuse to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Period. Is He to be believed or is He not? The question at hand, if God is not glorious, then He's not to be trusted. If He is glorious, then you will trust Him. The glory of God is a massive issue. Strong faith in Jesus Christ empowers us to not only hope in the glory of God, but to desire and do 
what God wants us to desire and do. Listen to how Paul says it in Philippians 2.13. He says, It is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. To will and to do for His good pleasure. In other words, what is he saying here? He's saying this. The, even the idea of being baptized, if you obey God and are baptized, it's because God has led you to this. The Scriptures have said that's what a Christian ought to do. And so when I got baptized, it wasn't because I was such a good kid. It's because the Lord led me. When somebody sets aside an addiction to pornography, guess what? Child of God, it's because God led you to do that. It's, it's God who is at work in you both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. His good pleasure might be that you would join a church body officially. His, his, his desire for you might be that you pray or go on a mission trip or teach Sunday school. We've got a class that needs a teacher, by the way. His desire for you might simply be that you go public with your faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever the case may be, as we are transformed, understand that it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. One of the things that even Bible-believing Christians struggle to really grasp is that in our flesh is a sin condition. And we don't naturally desire the things of God. Our flesh likes sin. Your flesh likes sin. My flesh likes sin. When we get to the point where we hate sin enough to leave it behind, it's because He is at work in you both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Philippians 1.6 said that, I am convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will be completing it until the day of Christ. He's talking about salvation. The one who initiated that. Listen, you didn't come to your senses and respond. You came to your senses because God brought you to life from the dead. The one who began that good work will be completing it. Now, I grew up in a church that I absolutely loved. I loved my pastor as a child. He taught me about the need to be holy. One area where I did not eventually came to the conclusion that I, I don't agree with him was this. He, he kind of taught that you could lose your salvation. And so we have this on one hand, the glory of God, salvation in Christ. On the other hand, uh, you've got to be holy, which is right, but you could lose your salvation. And here's the thing. John MacArthur probably said it best when he said, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Because in our flesh, there's no good thing, except for Christ. The reason we have confidence of persevering to the end is not because I'm so good, or that God's holy standards are no longer applicable to the child of God because they believe in Jesus Christ. The reason why we have confidence of eternal security is that it is God who began a good work in you and completes it. See, when I would hear my pastor preach about holiness, I would say, you are right. I am supposed to be that. But if I can lose my salvation because I don't do this perfectly, I'm done. I am ruined. Thankfully, the child of God, while we are to pursue holiness, 
and be transformed to become more like Christ. This transformation happens, this enabling to persevere in, with Christ is because God is the one at work, is, who is at work in you. And Paul says to be God, God be the glory because He is able to strengthen you. Not because you are able to strengthen you. You didn't pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps to come to Christ. He enabled you. And you can't pick yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps and carry yourself across the finish line into heaven. God does that. And any transformation you have seen in your life or in any other Christian's life was a work of God. Because in us, no good thing dwells. Do you believe the Word of God? God is the one who is able to give us the strength that we need to persevere in faith and to live life the way that God intends us to do. This is why we hope in the glory of God, even in the midst of difficult days. So to God be the glory, because not only is He able to give us the strength that we need, but because His secret plan to offer salvation through Jesus Christ has now been revealed. Look at the second half of verse 25 and first part of verse 26. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. In Pastor Rob's devotion, he mentioned the fullness of time. Jesus Christ was a lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world. But in the fullness of time, at just the right time, by God's good pleasure, Christ Jesus appeared on the scene. And a point in time will come when He will reappear in bodily form on the scene. In the meantime, what Paul is pointing out to us here is that that secret about Christ had been hidden in plain sight, but now has been fully revealed. The glory of God in Christ was hidden in the, in the laws and the sacrifices of the Old Testament. But now that Christ has come, has lived a sinless life, died on the cross in our, on our behalf, and been raised from the dead, that glory which was hidden in plain sight is on full display. The statutes and symbols in the Old Testament concealed God's mysterious plan to bring salvation from His wrath through faith in Jesus Christ. What do I mean? Well, Paul, he wrestled with in this letter the concern that all Jews would have had. Are you saying the Old Testament is of no value? And what he's saying is, no, no, no. The laws of the Old Testament were right. They were good. They told us what God expected. They told us what holiness looked like. The problem was none of us were able to obey it perfectly. The wages of sin is death. But then when Christ Jesus comes, you know what He does? He obeys that perfectly. So now we look at His life and you go, that's what perfect holiness is. It also enabled Him to be the perfect sacrifice for sins. That's why the Bible says He was the Lamb of God who was slain from before the foundation of the world. Hidden in plain sight in those animal sacrifices that most people skim over when they look over the Old Testament or just kind of flip the chapter. In those animal sacrifices which were atoning for sin and those death of bulls and goats and all these sorts of creatures, they were pointing forward to Jesus Christ. 
the mystery was hidden in plain sight. What do I mean? I keep saying that phrase. Well, in my garage, which on Sunday mornings we open and close as quickly as possible, in case any of you happen to be driving by Dan's messy garage on Sunday morning. I'm taking full blame for that. My wife, however, is a master of hiding gifts. This week is Trinity's birthday. We ordered a package. It showed up. It's now currently hidden in plain sight. They haven't noticed it. These children of mine who hear nothing I say when the TV is on catch me whisper about Holiday World or something. Don't say a word and then like an hour later like, hey, so are we going to go to Holiday World? These are my kids. They haven't caught on to where Chrissy has hidden this gift in plain sight. Amidst all the rubble and confusion that is Dan's garage is a big box. The boys shouldn't even know about it because they won't be able to keep their mouths shut either. All they'd have to do if they were really expecting something good was to pull this little blanket away and you go, it's, a, it's well, I don't know, some sort of power wheels thing. The boys couldn't keep their mouths shut over that one. Hidden in plain sight. The mystery of Jesus Christ was hidden in plain sight. That through faith in Him, not only would Jews receive their salvation because they weren't good enough to be saved, but Gentiles would also. It was hidden in plain sight. The prophets talked about it. Shows up in the Psalms. David invites the nations to come and worship God. But they weren't really looking for that, though it was hidden in plain sight. They believed that by doing the right things, they could be righteous before God. Try as they might, they seemed to be completely unaware that God was covering their sins the whole time. And they weren't really interested in seeing the Gentiles get saved. Not sure? Read the book of Jonah. In case you don't know how the story goes, God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, because if they don't repent, those Ninevites are going to be destroyed. You know why Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh? Because, as he said, I know you're a a merciful God. And if they hear of your righteousness and your wrath and believe, they will repent, and then they won't be judged. Translation, I don't want them to be saved. They weren't looking for it even though it was hidden in plain sight. Uh, Don't be too hard on the Jews, because the Gentiles weren't really looking for it either. We have this human tendency to justify ourselves. They thought they were pretty good with the gods. The statutes and symbols of the Old Testament concealed God's mysterious plan to bring salvation through faith in Jesus. But to God be the glory, because His secret plan has now been fully revealed in Christ Jesus. God gives salvation as a gift to those who receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior by faith. You know when we put our trust in Jesus, we glorify Him? Because we are really saying that He is everything God says He is. They weren't so sure about that. That's why they killed Him. But then God raised Him from the dead. We also glorify Jesus when we obey Him as our Lord. 
God gives us salvation as a gift when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior by faith. To God be the glory. Because he has decreed that the gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus be proclaimed to every nation, tribe, and tongue. Look at the first, second half of verse 26. And through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Certainly the obedience of faith begins with repentance of sin, turning away from it to believe in Jesus Christ. But then there's a whole life that ensues where we learn to obey our Lord and Savior. But through faith in Jesus Christ, the redeemed people of God from every nation, tribe, and tongue are brought together into one family of God. The dividing wall of hostility is torn down. And God has commanded. He has decreed that salvation be offered to all the nations, all the peoples of the world. Paul begins in Romans 1 by saying, Hey, look, I am the apostle to the Gentiles by the command, the decree, the will of God. And other places when he talks about the fact that he, this thoroughbred Jew, who normally, under normal circumstances, without Christ, would have, have stiff-armed Gentiles to keep them away from him. Figuratively speaking, of course. But now he goes to their cities. He preaches the gospel and gets beaten up for doing so. But he is the apostle to the Gentiles, as he said, by the will of God, not of man. What he is praying throughout this letter is that they would all have the faith to believe that God has done this. God has commanded us, Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things. Psalm 67, 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Think about that thought. When you watch the news, whether it's Fox News or CNN, you get the picture that everything is going wrong except when the people that Fox News or CNN likes. When, when we're talking about those leaders, everything's good. But everybody else, the world's spiraling out of control. But to God be the glory. Because He judges the peoples with equity. And He guides the nations upon the earth. Therefore, let us hope in the glory of God, regardless of what Fox News or CNN tells you tomorrow. No matter what your goofy professor tells you about our country and its history. But this is why we hope. This is also why we go on mission. This is why you sent us a couple weeks back to Sycamore Bible Church. So that the people of that community would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turns out I didn't realize it, never thought of it this way. But there was actually another church that God had stirred to go partner with Trafalgar, with Sycamore Bible Church, church in Paris, Illinois. I've never set foot or heard of or met the pastor of that church so far as I know. This is a work of God. But this is why we go. Interesting thing happens in the United States. We're a melting pot. Lots of people from lots of different parts of the country a year ago, you sent us to Cleveland. It was a little different world there. The point I'm trying to make is this. God has commanded that the offer 
of salvation be presented to every nation, tribe, and tongue. And we're a part of that. That's why we go on mission. That's why we gather to worship. Listen, when we worship God and people who perhaps join us or who are not believers, you know what they hear? Jesus Christ is glorious. And hopefully they would turn their face to Him and love and trust Him as you do. Jesus commanded the church to proclaim God's offer of salvation to the ends of the earth, to every tribe, nation, and tongue. In his letter to the Romans, Paul says, hey, listen, I'm coming to you guys, Lord, Lord willing. And then when I'm done ministering to you and you're done ministering to me with your help, I'm going to go on to Spain because they have not yet heard the gospel. The spread of the gospel is Paul's heartbeat. It should be ours as well. Finally, verse 27. After 18 months, the last word. To the only wise God who has planned salvation meticulously and executed His plan to God be the glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. God is glorious because in His wisdom He has made salvation possible for all people, Jews and Gentiles, black and white, male and female, Spanish and Salvadoran, through faith in Jesus Christ. And now, to God be the glory. Because as the old reformer said, the chief end of man is to glorify Him forever. About 15 years ago, I began to be stirred by God. And what I recognized then was that while I was believing in Jesus Christ, and that was good news alone that I had salvation, but He had a purpose for my life. Well, I'm doing it this morning, but as I've gone on years later, one of the things I've come to understand is I'm not just called to teach and preach the Scriptures. The underlying purpose of all of that is that God would be glorified. So my prayers have been altered when I prepare to preach. While I never want to bore the audience, my greatest concern on Sunday morning, and when it goes out over the radio at 1.10, is that God would be glorified by the preaching of the Word which points us to Jesus Christ, who magnified God the Father by obeying Him and executing His plan to offer salvation to the ends of the earth. So how do we respond to this? There's a lot of ways that the child of God can respond, but Paul's heartbeat here, what his desire for the children of God is this, that we would join him in saying to God be the glory. We certainly do that when we gather on Sunday morning. Continue to make that a priority. We gather and we behold the face of God. It transforms us. When we grow in personal devotions, it, we start to notice who Jesus is and have a better understanding of Him. And we start to hope in the glory of God. And it starts to transform us. And then we go. We, we continue to expand the offer of salvation to more people as God gives us opportunity. And so what do you say here? Well, I think surrender 
to God's plan. To glorify himself through you. Yesterday I had a unique opportunity. Uh, opportunity. Preach. A funeral for a woman who had loved the Lord Jesus Christ and others well. And while she was not comfortable with any of the stories of the good things she had done be shared, I had to. Why? Because God had glorified Jesus in her, and people saw it. I think she was surrendered to God. And so the invitation for the child of God is to choose to surrender to Him. Whatever He leads you to do, whatever He calls you to do, wherever He calls you to go, whoever He calls you to love, do that. Finally, as we lead our song of worship, ultimately the thought of glorifying God, get this, it's called doxology. When you step back and sing of the glory of God, we worship, we engage in doxology. But perhaps this morning as a person, maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, but today you understand that He is glorious. He is the Son of God and in Him is salvation and in Him alone. You recognize that you are a sinner. You've lived life your way instead of God's. And that has separated you from Him, just like it separated me from Him. But today, if you turn from your sins, turn to Jesus Christ in faith, you can be saved and begin this journey of following Him. If you'd like to do that this morning, I invite you to make your way to the front and help you call on the Lord Jesus in prayer because the Bible tells us whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. Thank you for listening.